Morning, everybody. Man, it's good to see you all on a beautiful Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Man, it's good to be together. Uh, it's good to celebrate, uh, celebrate uh, you ladies uh, among us. Thank you for the ways that you um, just show us as your brothers in Christ something of God, the way that you model for us uh, the incredible compassion and grace and giftings of God, the pieces of God's character, in essence, that we would be missing with, without you. And so I uh, just want to take a, a moment here as we, uh, as we begin our, our, this portion of our service, our teaching, to just offer a, a prayer of blessing on this Mother's Day. So I would love to have you just pray, uh, pray with me. God, we, uh, we say thank you for uh, these women in our life who have loved us and nurtured us, uh, who we call mothers. Uh, and mother role models. God, we, um, every one of us, we would not be the same without these, uh, these women who are created in your image and who responded to, uh, to your love and your life and who just poured themselves out into us. So God, uh, thank you. We pray that you would just bless um, every woman, every girl in this room. God, we pray that they would uh, feel the power of your Holy Spirit, that they would not get tired of doing good, but they would labor with all of the energy that you so powerfully work in them. God, we pray that they would feel today, God, that they are loved, that they are seen, that they are um, known by you. God, that there is nothing uh, that, that happens in their lives, God, that, that you don't see, and God, that you don't draw close to them. God, on this Mother's Day, we, we do celebrate, but God, we also recognize that there are some of us um, here as we worship and as we, um, you know, talk and honor mothers, God, who, who Mother's Day holds, holds pain. This, this celebration, God, every time it comes around on the calendar, God, there, there's pain. And, and for some, it's, it's a mother who was absent or a mother who was not who you had created her to be, that didn't build us up but tore us down. And so, God, we come to you to heal those wounds. God, we, we, we bring them to you. God, uh, for some, there is this, this pain of the loss of a mother. Um, and, and that loss may be really fresh, or, God, it, it may have been years ago, but... But on this day, we remember our moms and we celebrate, but there's also some grief and mourning. And so we bring it to you. God, uh, for some, there's a, there's a dream of being a mother. God, this, this dream that uh, has been held uh, in, in our hearts, and God, that dream has not come to bear. It's not come to be in the way, God, that you have, um, that it has been dreamed. And so, God, we, we realize that there's some pain in that as well. We bring it to you. And, God, there's also this ache that, uh, that some of us may be feeling for children who have uh, who've, who've kind of gone astray, who've been estranged from uh, their mothers or their families, uh, children who've made um, just decisions that have led them down a road that leads to uh, pain and brokenness. And so, God, we bring that ache to you, knowing that you know it well, God. Uh, you, who are pictured as this parent who, who cares, God, you, you feel that ache, and so we bring it to you. So, God, as a church, we, we want to do 
everything we can to, to celebrate with those who celebrate and to mourn with those who mourn. And God, we will only be able to do that as you are present with us through the power of your Holy Spirit. So we ask you, Jesus, to just make yourself known among us. We ask you to uh, just to, to show up as, as you already have as we sing these songs to you, that you would teach us, that you would lead us uh, in this way to be your people in this world. Uh, pray a special blessing on every woman in this room. And everybody said, amen, amen. Um, so we are in this series called Amazed. And the uh, title for the sermon this morning is Served uh, to Serve for reasons I, I hope will uh, become obvious as we move on. But um, what I'd like to do is just take, a, take a, a moment to read the scripture. We're in Matthew chapter 8, and we're not doing anything fancy. We're just kind of slowly moving through Matthew 8 and 9, these miracle stories of Jesus, and just um, highlighting them and learning what we can from each of these interactions. And so this morning, our, our story is about Peter's mother-in-law. And believe it or not, we did not plan this. Uh, to talk about this on Mother's Day, but uh, it's pretty cool and stuff like that works out. So uh, this, this is our text for the, this morning. Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 uh, to 17. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. She got up and began to wait on him. Now when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So this is, uh, this is our text for this morning. It's just three short verses, but like, like all of Scripture, uh, you, you, you start un packing it a bit and peeling back some of the layers, and you realize how much power these three verses pack. And so what I'd like to do is just to kind of point out a couple of things here at the beginning, and then I want to spend the majority of our time on kind of the last, the last point I want to make. So hit, hit a few things real quickly just to kind of to highlight them. So, so, uh, so stick, stick with me if you can. First of all, this is the third healing story we've looked at. So Matthew 8, Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount, and it's like his keynote speech. Uh, it's, it's like he's talking and teaching, saying this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what it's like when you make Jesus Lord, King of your life. And the whole Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is just like the center of Jesus' teaching ministry. But then he, he comes off of the mountain, and he begins to like show people, but this is what it actually looks like when the kingdom comes. And so in these chapters, there are these 10 healing stories, these miracles. And we've covered three of them so far. The first one was a man with leprosy. There's a man with leprosy who's laying on the side of the road and he sees Jesus or, or Jesus coming by. And so he calls out to Jesus. He says, um, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus looks at him, touches his hand and says, I am willing, be made clean. So that's miracle one. Miracle two is the centurion. This Roman a soldier who's in charge of soldiers. And he comes to Jesus, not for his own needs, but on behalf of his servant, who's at a distance in his home, lying in bed and suffering terribly. And so the centurion comes and says, Lord, this is what's happening. My servant is sick. You can heal him. And Jesus speaks a word, and the servant is healed. Third story, Jesus comes into the house, Peter's house, and uh, Jesus' mother-in-law is, is lying... Um, in bed, sick with a fever, 
And um, could make some mother-in-law jokes of like, well, Peter was like, no, 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 she's good. Don't, don't worry, she's, she's fine. Um, but we won't. We won't do that. Um, so Jesus, he looks and he sees Peter's mother-in-law lying there with a fever and he touches her hand and she's healed. She's, she's healed. So three healing stories. Um, do you see the pattern in each of these stories? Some hopefully will say no. Because there is only one pattern and the pattern in each of these healings is that there is no pattern. There's no pattern to these healings. And I think this is so important to just continue to reemphasize when we're talking about healing, when we're talking about miracles, when we're talking about God's activity in our lives, is that faith is not a formula. Faith is not a formula. Um, and and we, we're so prone to think about God as sort of mechanistic. If we can figure out the right way to pray, the right words, and have the right amount of faith, then we will sort of get God to do our bidding and and, and answer our needs. We think about God as this sort of vending machine in the sky. I mean, this is how, if we break it down, this is how lots of us have grown up thinking about God. You pray the right way, the right amount of faith, uh, put the right change in, you hit the right button, and you will get the thing that you want. And, and to just keep saying, no, 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 this is not, this is, this is a machine, this is uh, this, this mechanism, this is not what faith in God is like. You cannot have a relationship with a machine, with a vending machine. We are called to have a relationship with God. Um, and so part of this human, our human tendency is to look for patterns in everything. I mean, we're, we're driven to try to find patterns, and we love it. We love when somebody says, I have the five easy steps to financial freedom, right? Or I have the five easy steps to a great marriage, uh, we love that kind of stuff. That's the reason why when you're, when you're going to the grocery store and um, they're in those aisles where you're, you're going to, to uh, pay for your groceries, these magazines that sort of line the aisles, I, I guarantee you the next time you look at them, you will find those things on the covers of many of these magazines. Three keys, five steps, simple plan. Because we love that kind of stuff. We love to look for patterns. But, but with healing, with miracles, with prayer, this is not... The thing we're called to faith is not a formula. We simply, the only common denominator in, in miracles, in these stories that we're looking at is Jesus. It's just Jesus. It's, it's, it's coming to Jesus. And so to see prayer is this relationship of, uh, of coming, bringing our whole selves to Jesus and humbly submitting our needs to him. Does that make sense? So that's kind of, real quick, just want to reemphasize that. Uh, the second thing is like, oh, Peter was married? How many of you, like, ha- had this idea that Peter was married? Or how many of you is that, like, brand new? They're like, what? wait a second. I have Catholic friends who, who like, that can be kind of problematic to see the first pope as somebody who is, like, married and potentially had a family or whatever. Um, the whole celibacy, singleness thing um, came, came about later, I guess. Um, and so, but yeah, we hear in this story that Peter was married. Um, and in fact, there's another place in the New Testament. This is totally an aside, but it's, it's kind of cool. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul's getting kind of cranky. He, like, he's having to fight for his own authority. And he's, he's saying, like, wait a second, I have some rights too. And so this is what he says. Don't we have the right to take uh, a believing wife along with us on our missionary journeys, as do other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas, which is Cephas is Peter. 
So apparently when Peter traveled, he was able to take his wife along with him, right? So um, again, just a little aside, maybe Peter was married. Um, next, this, this tiny little phrase that we can just gloss over, but there's so much power in it, is in verse 16, the first three words. It says this, when evening came. Now we can just, we can just kind of read that as saying like, oh, okay, like, Everybody was done with work, and evening came. And when evening came, then the village comes, and they bring their sick and demon-possessed to Jesus, and he, he heals them. But we miss that Matthew's actually communicating something really significant here. So this story in Matthew 8 is actually found in Mark's Gospel, Mark 1, and in Luke chapter 4. And in both of those Gospels, we're told that this story happens on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is the one day of the week where God's people were supposed to just chillax. Like, right? I mean, this is like, this is God's easiest commandment. That, that God said, you need one day a week to remind yourself that you are not a machine. You are not the Energizer Bunny. Your life is not uh, sort of evaluated by how much you do and what you produce. You need a day to just stop and rest, and breathe, and remind yourself that you are not, your value doesn't come from these other things. I mean, how, how many, is that like a beautiful command from God? To just, to just rest, to take a day to rest. Um, but here's the thing, is that with this beautiful command, as they often are, religious people like to make rules about them, about the Sabbath. And so it's like, okay, if God commands us to rest, here are the things that are considered rest, and here are the things that are not considered rest. Some of us grew up in really religious traditions where it's like, you know what you don't do on the Sabbath? Wash your car in the driveway. You wash your car in the garage on the Sabbath. Or you, uh, you only mow the backyard on the Sabbath. How many of you, I won't make you raise your hand, but some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Because when there's a rule, we figure out ways around the rules. When you build a fence, we naturally like sort of slide up against the fence and then try to find out what's on the other side of the fence. This is what religious people do. Um, here, here's just a funny thing. I uh, did this a couple years ago in a sermon. I thought it'd be good. Uh, these, these are actually church do's and don'ts, religious rules that, that I have either experienced or that I have talked with people who have. Um, so maybe some of you relate. Things to do or not do on the Sabbath. Can you watch TV? Like, are you allowed to watch TV on the Sabbath? That was a rule we were not allowed to do growing up. How about movies? Um, how about if you're not going to a movie theater, but you, uh, you, you rent a movie? Are you allowed to watch rated R movies? What if it's a biblical movie that's rated R because it has violence in it? Are you allowed to watch those? Are you allowed to go shopping on Sunday? Are you allowed to go out to eat on Sunday? Are you allowed to eat at home on Sunday because somebody's going to have to work? Um, are you allowed to mow the grass on Sunday? But what if you find mowing the grass really relaxing and it's really so give, uh, you know, life-giving? Can you do that? Um, are you allowed to, this is like moving away from Sabbath now to other things, are you allowed to get tattoos? Um, and, and are you allowed to get tattoos if no one can see them? And if you get a tattoo and no one can see it, is that really good stewardship in the first place? Isn't, isn't that kind of a waste, right? Um, women, um, are, women are, 
do they have to wear head coverings? And if so, what kinds of head coverings? How big do those head coverings have to be? Um, can women, uh, like, are they allowed to wear pants or allowed to wear um, shorts or, or skirts? Uh, what about culottes? Are they allowed to wear culottes? <laughs> are you allowed to wear jeans to church on a Sunday morning or shorts to church? Are you allowed to drink alcohol? Again, if no one sees you, is that okay? Um, <laughs> Are you allowed to listen to rock music or Christian rock music or rock music that is sung by a Christian? Are you allowed to listen to Christian music? And even if you are, why? Uh, country music. And even if you are, why would you want to? Um, are you allowed to wear jewelry? How much jewelry? Are men allowed to wear jewelry? Um, can women cut their hair? If so, how short? How long can a man's hair be? And can you dance? And the answer is very simple. Some can and some cannot. So, this to bring that back. So just to highlight, we take these good gifts from God and we make religious rules about them. And here's what Jesus does is like this beautiful gift of Sabbath. He just starts breaking all the rules that they've made. Um, they made all these rules to say, no, 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 you can't do that. And one of the things you couldn't do is heal people on the Sabbath. And Jesus in John 5, he gets in big trouble with the religious leaders. This is a turning point in John's gospel because he healed a man on the Sabbath. And he, not only does he heal the man, he looks at him after he's healed and he says, get up, take your mat and walk. You're not allowed to pick up your mat and walk on a Sabbath day. There was a man in Numbers 15 who was stoned to death for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. I mean, these religious rules that get put around, uh, around these gifts from God. And so Jesus, is just, he's just like taking down the fences. He's taking down these religious rules and he's bringing it back to say, no, 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 we're going to do good on the Sabbath. So here's the thing. Jesus and the disciples come into Peter's house after being in, in synagogue for worship on the Sabbath and they walk in and Peter's mother-in-law is lying there sick and what does Jesus do? He touches her hand and he heals her. Now, everybody else in the village is more religious than Jesus because everybody else waits till sundown to bring their sick and demon-possessed to him to heal them. Do you see what's going on here? Like there, there's a Sabbath thing that Jesus just says, no, you're called to do good on the Sabbath. You're called to do good. You're called to heal. You're called to restore. So this is, as a church, um, one, one quick example uh, that I found helpful is, so example from um, folks who have cattle in the outback of Australia. You know, really dry and so you need these big, massive tracts of land to be able to find enough pasture for, for their cattle. And so they're, they're given this, this problem of saying, how do you, how do you keep your cattle where, where they should be in this place? And so there are two options. One, you can build a fence. There are obvious problems with this. It's really expensive to build this massive fence around these you know, miles and miles of property. Um, and then you have to maintain the fence. So really, really uh, big headache but the other option is to dig a well. You dig a well at the center of your property and the cows continue to come back to the water. As a church, like we're constantly given choices of are we going to build fences that say, no, 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 this is what you can and this is what you cannot do. Here are the limits, you can go no further. Or are we going to keep con continuing to point people to Jesus, this, this well, this fountain of living water? And, and I vote for the second one, to just keep, keep drawing people to Jesus. And, and not worrying about the religious rules. Can we do that? Somebody? Come on. Um, another little phrase, they brought people to Jesus. Um, I, I really, man, this, this really struck me this week. So say, like, I'm guessing that, that most of us in here this morning have somebody who we are just like carrying a burden for in our heart. And, and somebody who we're relating to, uh, family member, friend, whomever, 
And we're just like, it, it's heavy to sort of carry the weight of, of this person. And here's the beautiful thing, is like in this story, people brought those who were sick, those who, were, who had these unclean spirits, they brought them to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who could heal them. And I think there's a beautiful pattern in that, a powerful pattern in that, to say we were not meant to carry the weight of other people's sin, of other people's brokenness, of other people's problems. We were not meant to carry the weight of trying to fix people. What we were meant to do is to continue to bring people to Jesus, to point people to Jesus, because Jesus can carry the weight. And so to, to visualize that, if you have this person who you are who you're just carrying this heavy burden for, here and now in this moment, like to even to, to visualize it, to see yourself as just bringing this person to Jesus. To, to allow Jesus to be the one who meets them, who cares for their needs. And for you to be able to just experience the freedom and the joy that comes from releasing them and to just walk alongside them in whatever way God leads you to do to point them toward Jesus. So, so, so to, just, to just continue to imagine that, to, don't, to not to take the weight of other people on, on yourself. Jesus is the one who absorbs our sin. He's the one who cleanses us from the inside out. And, and so we continue to do that. So, um, now here's where, I want, here's where I want to spend just a, just a bit more time. And, and that's on this, this, this little phrase that says, when, when Peter's mother-in-law was healed, says she got up and began to wait on him. Now how many of you read that and you're like, there's a woman who knows her role. How many of you read that in the back? You admit that, you might get slapped. Um, so, I mean, this is the problem of the story, right? Jesus and the disciples, like, they come home from Sabbath, from synagogue, and they're hungry. And the cook is sick. You've got a major crisis on your hands. Like, they don't know how to cook, and they're hungry. So what do they do? Jesus, like, I know she's my mother-in-law, but heal her, please. We have a problem. Um, is that what's happening in this story? He heals her, and she immediately gets up and begins to do her domestic duties in the kitchen. Um, I think Matthew is saying something far more powerful than that, much more powerful than that. And, and here's, here's what Matthew is saying. This word to wait is actually the word a diacono. You want to say that? Diacono. Okay? So uh, it's literally, it means to minister or to serve. So here's Peter's mother-in-law, and she has been ministered to by Jesus. She's been healed and served by Jesus, and her immediate response is to begin ministering to him and to others and begin serving him and others. Um, this word, diakono, it actually means to thoroughly raise up dust by moving in a hurry and so, so as to minister. How many of you know people who this is their life? Constantly serving, constantly moving toward others to meet their needs and bless them. Uh, I, I love that. Now, the word diakono, to minister, to serve, Jesus actually holds this up as the pinnacle of faithful discipleship. In Luke chapter 22, here's what he says. Um, when talking about leadership, next slide, talking about leadership and, and power, he says, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who diacono, who serves. I, Jesus says, am among you as one who serves. What Matthew is saying here is that 
Peter's mother-in-law is this pinnacle of faithful discipleship. That when we, our needs are met by Christ, our immediate response is to, to actually minister to Christ, to, to give in gratitude to him, and to minister to others. Now, what do we call in the church people who do the works of ministry? Ministers, right? Um, people who do this work of diacono, we actually call deacons. We call ministers. This is the same word that is used throughout the rest of the New Testament for this position of leadership in the church called a deacon, one who is ministering to others in the church, this grace of God. Now, here's, here's the radical thing Jesus is doing here. In the first century, in the first century, women were seen as second-class citizens. In the first century, women were seen as property. They either belonged to their fathers or they belonged to their husbands. Uh, In the first century, a woman's testimony was not valid in court. If a woman witnessed a crime, her testimony could not be submitted to a court because it was said to not hold value. So this this is the culture Jesus steps into. And you know what Jesus does? He starts valuing women. He, he starts ministering to them. He starts seeing them as human beings created in God's image. All throughout the Gospels, women are elevated through the life and ministry of Jesus. In Luke chapter 8, we're told that Jesus and his disciples were supported financially by women who had received this healing touch from Jesus. Um, Mary Magdalene and, and the, the, the woman who um, her husband helped Herod Uh, who is said to be the king of the Jews, she was a part of this. And it says many other women supported Jesus and the disciples out of their own means. Jesus' own ministry was supported by these women. Jesus allows women to sit at his feet in the place of faithful discipleship. I mean, this is radical. It, the story of Mary and Martha, right? It's, it's not a story of, of Martha at work in the kitchen and, and saying, uh, hey, Jesus, tell Mary, my sister, who, who's lazy and sitting at your feet, to get in the kitchen and help me. That's not the, the deal. Martha is scandalized because Mary has chosen to sit at Jesus' feet as he's teaching because only disciples were allowed to sit there. And disciples were only allowed to be men in the first century. And you know what Jesus says? He says, Martha, Mary has chosen what's better, and I am not going to take it from her. Do you realize the power of this? This is what Jesus does. He, he elevates the status of women. He speaks to them. And he says, no, 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 you can be my disciples. Um, for women who were not allowed to testify in court, do you know who the first person was to witness the resurrection? The first person to witness the empty tomb was, was Mary Magdalene. Now, granted, um, and she's the first person who's called to, hey, go tell people, go tell your brothers. Now, they didn't believe her, right, until they actually came and saw it themselves. But this is absolutely scandalous uh, in, in, in an absolutely amazing way is that the, the thing that the gospel message hangs on, the resurrection of Jesus, was first witnessed to by a woman in the first century. Uh, all throughout the New Testament, in Acts chapter 16, Lydia is the first convert in all of Europe. Uh, And she uh, begins to host a church in her home in Philippi, leads this church. In Romans chapter 16, uh, as Paul is just writing this letter to the Roman church, and he he begins to highlight these people who he wants them to kind of recognize. I think we have this on the screen, right, Carl? Romans 16, uh, verse 1 says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon 
right? She has this position of leadership in the church. In Romans 16, 7, greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles who were in, they were in Christ before I was. So we have this, like, this massive evidence of, of God's um, calling of women to lead in the church. And, and there are these two passages in, in 1 Corinthians and in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that seem to kind of limit the role of, of leaders. And we've done, I don't have time to go into those this morning, but we've done like a whole sermon on these two passages and how we understand those. And I would love to give you that D- DVD if you're like struggling to kind of make sense of, but okay, how do, we, how do we make sense of those? But the overwhelming evidence that we have been convinced by Scripture at Journey that women are called to lead in any capacity God gives them gifts to lead in. Now, this is, this is a core value of, of us as a church. So we, have, we have women who are pastors. We have women as elders, ministry team leaders, because we believe that there is, there is this biblical precedence that this is what God has called us to, to affirm. Uh, as Paul so amazingly says in, Gen- in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free nor male and female for all are one in Christ Jesus. So here's the thing. I realize we don't live in the first century anymore, but even in the 21st century, there are still messages that are coming at you women who tell you that you, you are the way you look. You are what the men around you, or what men in general say about you. These messages are loud and clear, and they still continue to come at you. And these messages, they happen in the church as well. Some of you may have read uh, this letter from Beth Moore. Beth Moore, this phenomenally gifted teacher who's impacted uh, just so many lives, women and men. Um, I, have so, I have so much respect for her as a teacher. And she wrote this letter a few weeks ago and just kind of telling her story of, of being sort of pushed aside as a woman in the church. And she, she would even embrace this more of a, uh, her role is to just teach women. But even in that, in these conservative contexts, um, she has been degraded. Uh, she met with a, um, a man who is a theologian, somebody she highly respected. And when they met for dinner, she looked at him, or he looked at her, and he said, Oh my, you're much better looking than this other woman. It's just like, it's, just, it's sinful. And, and it's something as a church I think we need to repent of. Um, and, and not just journey, but like the church. Um, women, I, I want to hear, uh, you to hear me say, but not just me, on the authority of Scripture, that you are called to minister in the kingdom of God. You are gifted by God that you are created in God's image, you are filled with God's Holy Spirit, and you are anointed to serve as God gives you strength. So please, the church needs you to know your role. And your role is to serve in whatever capacity God gives you gifts to do. Do not believe the lies of culture. Do not believe the lies that you are who other people around you say you are. You somehow have to earn other people's approval by meeting their standards. You are created in God's image and called to serve. So here's what I, how I'd like to end. Uh, we're going to have uh, Sherry, our, our, 
There you go. Children's pastor, uh, come forward. And as, as uh, women, girls, as you're here, and you would just like to experience the, a touch from God, to just to know, to hear these words spoken over you, that you are created in God's image, you are filled with God's spirit, and you are called to serve in God's kingdom. Uh, to come forward. And you can just hold out your hands, and Sherry will be up front here, and uh, she will just uh, anoint your hands with oil uh, to experience a touch from God. If you're here this morning, I uh, want to create some space. If you're here with, a, with another kind of need, uh, or even if you're here bringing somebody else to Jesus, we're going to have some people at the back who will be praying for others. Uh, so as worship team comes and begins to play, I just want to create space for, for God to move in our hearts and for us to respond in whatever ways God is leading you to do that. So I'd invite you to stand as we, uh, as we begin to, to sing and to respond.